pain and frustration and you know anger it was quite a lot of anger uh, at the government for like killing innocent people so how do you deal with that i'll create a website that's what i do best i can't like help in any other way so i'm going to redirect all that i had the energy to do it i, I it felt like i i have to do this Hey Webflailers, now before we begin into this intro, you might be like, why is Jack's voice so weird? I'm a little bit ill today of the time of the recording of the intro and the outro, so if you're like, what is going on with his voice, that's why. Okay, let's get into the intro. Hey Webflailers, and welcome to episode 42 of Webflail. I'm your host Jack, a failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Fateh Khadmoradi, better known as Kabaza. Kabaza is a fascinating member of the Webflow space, as you're about to hear in this episode. You may know him from his involvement as a coach and creator for Flux Academy. He's a Webflow designer and developer that is also building Flowing, a plugin that ensures you've built your Webflow site correctly by helping you do quality assurance checks before publishing. However, although Kabaza is flying high now in a stable career, he has had a challenging journey to get here. Kabaza immigrated from Iran to Germany in 2015 by crossing nine borders and traveling 4,500 kilometers. We talk a little bit about this during the recording, but he's got an incredible story. The failures Kabaza talks about are not seeing absolute client red flags, burning out after making two courses, and then getting hit by issues in his home country and losing a huge client. So embrace and learn from failure in episode 42 of Webflail with Kabaza. Kabaza, welcome to Webflail. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Perfect. Perfect intro. I'm really glad. It's always really embarrassing if you do the intro and then someone's like, uh, actually, no, that, that detail wasn't quite right. So uh, I'm glad that, that I got things all right. Your name, I definitely messed up though, didn't I? It's it's fine. It's Fateh Khodamoradi. I I understand it's a quite difficult name, but hey, I'm going by Kabarza. It's a nickname given to me by my younger siblings. So I'm being called Kabarza in the family with my friends. So I'm quite used to it. It's kind of has become my second name and my little brother now asking is asking for shares because he's the guy who named me Kabarza. <laughs> Your Kavarza, I named it. So yeah. Are you gonna give him any shares? Shares of anything? Um, probably not. <laughs> Absolutely <Just> not. <laughs> yeah, I would have said the same thing to my little brother. Yeah. So you've got a hell of a lot on your plate. You've got your flowing plugin, you're building an agency, you're doing courses. Just how are you even doing all this, first of all? And and kind of what does the average day look like for you? Um, an average day is like about waking up. I'm using my laptop normally right after waking up, trying to not be on social media a lot. Try to. I'm not saying I'm successfully not being on social media, especially Twitter. And check a few things regarding flowing. Uh, that's been eating my life uh, for the past, I, I should say, like three weeks, four weeks, full time working on flowing, a plugin for Webflow. And then the rest of the day is like juggling tasks between uh, my team members, trying to understand like what we have to do with, you know, for clients, answering a few emails here and there, 
and I'm trying to also reduce the amount of meetings I have because I found it very difficult to be productive while you have like three meetings, you know, in between. So I, I try to stay focused, uh, stay on like the minimum amount of tasks as possible. So not, not trying to juggle too many things at the same time on the same day. And then that goes on for the rest of the day till the evening and I sleep. So I'm basically full time, like all my day working with the exceptions of, you know, doing like taking care of family in between, you know, doing all the human things in between, but the rest is basically working. And for for those who may not have seen the state of flow, all hands gathering where you kind of showed flowing a little bit behind the scenes and stuff. Can you give us a little flavor of, of what's to come for, for web flowers that might be intrigued about your plugin? Yeah, definitely. So this all started almost, I have to say like two years ago when I started working with other freelancers uh, on projects together and, you know, quality assurance issues that you might encounter uh, when you are trying to, you know, ship a project for a client and then you notice like one of your developers or designers didn't do something, they forget, they forgot to do something or they didn't do it like quite nicely or like the, the correct way or just as simple as naming things correctly. I'm not talking about like all the uh, technical details, like naming classes correctly. I'm talking about things that not, not many people pay attention to, like the naming of the CMS fields and the help text that you write for your clients. Because at the end of the day, it's your clients that are going to use that, you know, website and that CMS for many years, right? So I always find found that to be in something that slows us down. This back and forth and getting like the feedback from the client that something was not quite right or they wanted to change it. Uh, or I noticed it before like handing it up to the client saying, we have to fix these things. So I started creating a checklist like a long checklist in Notion uh, where we started to give, you know, I gave all my developers. So for each project, they had to go through that checklist and say, okay, for example, that form is named correctly. Like the email setup is correct, things like that. So that got me into the idea of creating something native, like or like almost native-like for Webflow, like a checklist uh, that also tries to check as many things um, as possible actively and like in a smart way. So automatically and give you hints on, you know, what to, you have to do. And if you have already done it, it if it recognizes it, uh, it checks it. And if not, you know, you have to do it and uh, check it basically. So that's kind of like part of the plugin, but it goes deeper into creating tasks and getting feedback from client and, um, all that streamlining, all that process from starting a project and making sure that you deliver it uh, perfectly for your client and they can, you know, give you feedback in a very easy way. And the developer has all the feedback and everything in Webflow and, you know, you don't have to leave Webflow anymore. And this also can be applied for project managers, people who have like multiple Webflow developers and they want to you know, make sure that they are delivering uh, the projects uh, in the highest quality possible. So they will be able to check uh, the status of the projects and all those dynamic checklists and also the tasks 
that they are manually added. So it's kind of like project management and a quality assurance tool for Webflow, all in Webflow. It's a quite big task. Wow. Yeah. I kind of feel like that when you start doing a plugin like this, there might be one little thing that you're like, okay, we can create a little thing that would help, uh, you know, let's say the, the text that explains what each CMS field is, for example. But then you're like, oh, and we should probably add this to the CMS. And then it's like, oh, and then wait, we probably need more than just the developer to see this. So it might be like, okay, so we'll need to notify the project manager. So that needs to link up with Exactly. And then it's like, oh my God, like this kind of is this spider web of problems. And I I think this is actually the experience that, you know, is very much linked with Webflowers. You start thinking, oh, I'm going to make a website. And then it's like, wow, the amount of stuff you need to think about just in Webflow with all the different elements that you know, if you're doing them properly, you need to need to think about. That's completely besides the design part of it, which is the whole other yeah. beast. Um, I mean, it sounds like a really important tool from all the different things that you've said, but also just a very difficult plugin to build and to even know kind of where to focus your yeah. energy. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a lot of work. The way I see it, like just generalize that, it's like Webflow has made a few things very simple, like the whole, you know, project setup. We don't have that anymore using Webflow. Like if you use, you know, uh, if you write it by, you know, by writing the code, you have to set up the project and servers and whatnot. Right now, it's literally just pressing one button, create a new site, right? And then on the other side, we have that publishing part all figured out in Webflow and it's all included. One button, well, actually two, the way Webflow University jokes about it, two buttons and then you publish your site, right? But what's still difficult is that step in between, which is the building. So we are trying to tackle a few different things there um, and try to make it easier to build uh, websites faster and address that quality assurance issue might just make sure that the quality of the website is really high you're obviously a very experienced webflow dev and i think only very experienced webflow devs kind of know the extent of of problems that come when you kind of dig deeper you know everything seems simple on the surface and then the more you do it the more you realize what you don't know i find and that must have taken years to get to What I want to understand is, in the intro, we talked about this incredible journey that you needed to go on from your home country to Germany. Can we just backtrack and understand how you even came across Webflow and, 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 you know, what your start into, you know, thinking about all these problems was? So it all started, so just a little bit about my background also in Iran, I studied uh, software engineering, but I didn't finish it. So I was like quite early in university and then we had to leave. It was actually end of 2015, January, like very early days in January 2016, we left Iran. And then 15 days later, we were here in Germany. But that 15 days, it was, it, that's a different story and like really long one. So w- when I came here, I had to learn English and German, and I spent quite most of my time learning languages uh, on those like early years, I would say like first two years. 
And I was still very into photography and videography. And that was what I was doing. Uh, I was trying to find clients. Probably that's like 2018, trying to find clients to do photo and video for them. And you just notice that people need websites as well, right? These things not naturally come together for small businesses. Um, so I had a friend and he uh, had a very old website. It looked like ma- Matrix. So if you would go to his website, you'd literally see the Matrix, you know, that letters kind of like raining. And it was a very horrifying experience because you you would feel like you've been hacked or something. Anyway, so I I told him that I will make him a website because I want to learn it. It was just like a kind of like a click for me to to see, oh, there, there are websites to be built. And this looks something interesting. So let me try to see how I can build it. So I, I did some research, you know, just YouTube stuff. At that time, I wasn't allowed to work, to go to university, to, to do anything. I wasn't, I was literally not allowed to do anything and just stay home and, you know, watch YouTube, I guess. I wasn't allowed to even travel or leave my place for more than three nights in a row. So, yeah, I got into it. Um, I I got into Elementor. I bought Elementor at that time, Elementor Pro, which was not really necessary, but I wanted to commit. I want to commit to this thing. So I bought Elementor Pro, I believe, for like just shy of $200, uh, a yearly subscription. And at that time, I was... I wasn't allowed to work and I was getting uh, help from the government, but they cutted my money. So I was getting only 185 euros a month. So, <laughs> so I, I got Elementor and I was really dedicated to it. It was just like an instant fall in love in this web thing because I was like looking at other websites and I did start building that website with Elementor and just literally like one or two weeks later, that friend of mine that I, I was building this website for free for, uh, he got me a client. And that's around the time that I was allowed to work. And it was like really exciting. Okay, I'm now I'm allowed to work. And yeah, I got my first client after like, basically like three weeks of playing with uh, WordPress. And it was like quite, you know, a big client uh, for the start. Yeah, so that's that's how I got into web in general. And then just a few months later, as I was building more websites just for fun, I noticed there are so many things I can't do. I remember I commented um, somewhere in Facebook, on a Facebook group, I said, how can I do this thing? Uh, I asked in an Elementor group and somebody said, well, you can't do this with WordPress. You can't do this. You have to use Webflow. And I'm like, what the hell is Webflow? So I searched Webflow and, you know, surely the first thing you see is Ron Segal explaining Webflow beautifully. So I just, you know, that was the second thing I fell in love with and started learning basically. So you were starting out as video photography freelancing. That's kind of where you started thinking, oh, this is what I'm going to do. And then you realized oh wait, where are they going to put all this video and photos? They're going to need somewhere to put that. And that's kind of how the interest in web design came. Your friend had this terrible website, which, you know, was giving people cardiac arrests. And we were like, I'm going to fix this for you. And then you got a client off the back of that three weeks later. That is, that's a hell of a journey. Yeah. 
It was very interesting. And it's still unbelievable when I mentioned that I had a 3K uh, client. It's like for me, yeah, it's like uh, quite a big client for, for the start. To pitch that to the client, it wasn't easy. I remember that the client was also talking to other web designers and uh, she she looked at other experienced ones who were much cheaper. But I just... Chip, uh, I pitched it in a way that I'm, you know, I was really in love with it. I still am in that entire process of creating something really beautiful and nice. And yeah, I'm really grateful that she believed me. And, you know, um, I, I was upfront about that. I don't have a lot of experience, but I showed her what I've been building up to that point. Nothing like 100% finished, but like a few pages that I had. And they were not bad. I'm not really ashamed of, you know, sharing those. I'm not, I know they are not like the highest quality, but as the first work, they are not bad. So, yeah. I think it's it's worth saying that there's a hell of a lot of story to your life that, um, you know, immigrating from Iran and that whole experience is, is um, something that we're not going to talk about too much in this episode. But if people do want to know more about it, um, there's an hour-long video that Kabaza has recorded, which is on the Flux channel. I really recommend looking at it because it puts um, where he is now into into context and makes everything that he's doing even more impressive. So um, recommend checking that out on the Flux Academy channel. Speaking of Flux Academy, you then, you know, you'd fallen in love with Ran by that point, and then you messaged the flux team and said you know i really appreciate what you're doing and then they offered you a job or how did that bit come about yeah so it was late 2019 i was still at adidas i had a training like six months full-time paid training in a i was working in it and innovation there and I'm really grateful for the chance I also had there because I learned a lot. And this is where I also started Webflow uh, for some internal projects there that we were doing uh, by with Google and Microsoft and, you know, with EA doing all of those things at Adidas. It was like incredible experience. Just, they wanted me to build a website, not with Webflow, uh, just build a website. And I told my manager, can I use Webflow? This is, it's this new like shiny tool I want to learn. And, you know, the whole point of me there was to learn, right? So, and he was, he was really nice. And he was like, yeah, sure. I don't care. Just use whatever you want, learn it, build a website. And I did, uh, I did like two like websites for internal pur- purposes, like for the projects they were doing. And like by the end of the time being at Adidas, I saw this course from Run, like Webflow, course uh i bought that course I, I believe it was a bundle with web design yeah web design and webflow course i bought it uh because i wanted to up my game i want to you know I, I at that point i was creating websites i wasn't like like a newbie in webflow but i wanted to build more build more impressive stuff like what ron was doing so i entered you know, Flux Academy in that way. And at that time, we were not on Circle. We were on Facebook groups. But then a few months later, Ron made, you know, the Circle community, which is like a community for Flux students. I joined there. I joined weekly calls with Ron. 
So Ron was teaching Webflow weekly, answering students' questions. And at the beginning, I was really shy, but soon enough, when Ron was giving answers to uh, to the students, I was sometimes adding something extra or like being a bit fancy with like a much easier, like no code solution, right? Or like a trick. Uh, or sometimes when Ron was like, okay, this is a bit more complex. We don't have time. Maybe our other coaches will take care of this later. I would be like, okay, I'll take care of this. So I was like helping, trying to help and, that's where Ron notices, noticed me. And yeah, later on, I talked to Anna, who was uh, working at uh, Flux Academy at that time, and they had opened uh, positions for coaches. So I joined as a coach. I was recording Loom videos for you know students, and I told team that I like this. I like this recording Loom videos. It, it came natural to me. Next thing I was on YouTube and then next thing after that run was like, we are creating the new version of the Webflow Masterclass and I wanted to help with that. So uh, everything from planning to, you know, basically do co, co-building co the course with uh, Ron Segal. Uh, and it was like a very interesting experience. I loved it. Let us jump into your failures. I could talk to you for hours, but people are listening and I want to give them the beautiful nuggets that you're going to bring from <laughs> these. Tell me about failure number one, not seeing an absolute client red flag. Yeah, so that's from, I think it was like two years ago, a client, uh, they messaged me. They, I, I believe they found me on YouTube and LinkedIn. Um, and they messaged me that I... I had a discovery call with them and in that discovery call they mentioned that they want they have they had a competitor it was like a B2B business and they wanted a complete rip of their website they literally had the content also in the same like organized the same way just different it, they they were like a competitor like a direct competitor to that tool and it, the budget that they were offering me was also less than my minimum engagement rate at that time. But it, with the justification that we don't want something really complex and they seemed really nice, they were not like, hey, we are ripping up this you know, design. We're like trying to build, we are building something very similar and this is where we start, but then we want to grow from this point and you know, what everybody explains in that situation. So I ended up accepting the project uh, and I kind of ignored that, you know, that we want that ripoff basically. They didn't say it this way. They were like, we have this competitor. We want to create something really similar to this, but instead of using these colors, we want different. And instead of these shapes in the illustrations, we want different ones. So with my designer, we started working on it and uh, giving them very early. They were also on a tight deadline, uh, giving them design uh, ideas, and they were not happy with anything. Even though, in my opinion, we were doing a great job to still try to differentiate the design from the original one, like the competitor, but you know, be still using the same structures but still be different enough. But they were not happy with it and they failed at communicating it. Like, why? Why do I not like this? They were just like, I don't like this. 
and I want a different version. And uh, we did this for, I believe, like two weeks, trying to give them different versions, different variations for uh, different sections. And we were already behind the schedule because of all the iterations. And then for each time that I wanted to ask them feedback, they would take at least like two to three days. And it ended up being something like six, seven days of not giving me feedback. So, you know, imagine on a tight deadline and they are, the client is just goes absolutely like not answering your emails, even the follow-ups. So long story short, we ended up terminating the contract with them and I didn't even bother charging them. It were, it ended up so in a manner that I just want to get the hell out of this, this contract. I don't, I don't want anything. I just want to move on with my life. Uh, I have a lot of other interesting things to do. So I don't want anything. So I ended up, you know, talking to them in a very respectful way that this is not going to work out. You know, the time that it took for the feedback was too long. I mentioned these things and it was a learning experience at least. So since then, for all my proposals and contracts, I have it in, in the terms we expect like 48 hours, uh, you know, in uh, weekdays uh, response time from both parties. Even if the client is busy, I try to follow up and, you know, be like, okay, at least tell me that you, you're, you're seeing this email and you answer me in a, you know, in a time. And another point we ended up adding to our proposals is um, that we are specifying the different sprints and like the entire time frame that it takes the timeline and also we mention in the terms that if you don't deliver or communicate something on a in the right time a time well the 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 deadline may changes we we can't meet it if you take like 7 days to answer my my email that i need you know an immediate answer to so yeah it was not a big failure just i would say 2 weeks of work we learned to pay more attention to these red flags and not take on any client, even if the job seems easy enough. I mean, it sounds like they painted a pretty rosy picture at the start saying, look, we know exactly what we want. Okay, this is a simple job. It shouldn't take too long. Yeah, yeah cliche after cliche after cliche. If it's that easy, just do it yourself. Just yeah. do it yourself because it's clearly not that easy if you're coming to me and wanting to, you know, pay someone else to to do that. And this is a great point. Yeah, I think it's just whenever a client says it's simple, it's easy, it shouldn't be too hard. Have you tried it? Is that why you know that it's easy? If so, yeah. it's so easy. Hey, yeah. go on your easy merry is way. A red flag. Yeah, easy. Red flag. Yeah. Big old red flag right there. And also, I mean, this whole um when people say we want a brand refresh. We don't want we don't want to we don't want a rebrand. We don't want a rebrand. We want a brand refresh. So we're going straight into the website design. We don't have brand guidelines that we like. We've got brand guidelines, but we don't like them. So we just want little little change here and there. Yeah. Change, change the colors, maybe change the font, maybe change the imagery, yeah? Just a little. And then you're kind of going in blind to the design process. Is that kind of what happened to you? Because it sounds like they said, oh, no, we, we know everything. 
we know everything that we want, but we just want a little change here and there. And it's like, okay, that's that's a change. That's a complete change. Is that yeah, what happened they, to you? It's very similar to that, yeah, I would say. They didn't have a brand guideline. Um, nothing like thorough. It was like a logo, the colors, and, you know, do silly use the logo like this way and not that way, which are like fine for marketers. But as a developer and designer, I don't need that, right? I need other things like how like you generally build, you know, what is your design system if you have one or like what is your philosophy for building new sections and, you know, components? How do you handle these things? They didn't have any of these, no. So it was kind of like going blind and, that that wasn't like quite an experience for me, but what I learned from it was also for new clients that I have, I require them to share and I help them. I, I help them to, sh- we, we create a mood board together of websites that they, li- they like and websites that they don't like. This is also really important. I want, you know, we have, we, we had clients who said, we don't want those, you know, three, you know, bullet points next to each other and like an icon on top and, you know, centering that we do not want this at all. So they were like very clear because I we were exploring this. So I think this exploration is really important and rather easy to do. So it's just something that you have to do with your client, maybe make a 30 minute call, say, let's explore what you like, what you don't like. So you get a very well understanding of what they may want or not want. And also you're helping them because a lot of the times it's an educational problem or they just don't know. So it's our job to help them, guide them towards, you know, them figuring out what they like, what they don't like. Definitely. I think it's this problem from communicating words into visuals. If I say, I want a, I want a sexy website. It's like, okay, wait, are we talking animations that are really like smooth and glide in? Are we talking, you know, maybe a lot of white space or maybe there's a lot of imagery or, you know, what does that kind of a word mean? And I think um, I found that in the exploration call at the start, you know, if you ask them um, what websites they like, sometimes they'll say all sorts of random stuff. And then you're looking at, you know, Nike's, you know, <laughs> e-commerce page. And then you're looking at like, I don't know, some podcast website and you're like, wait, what? And yeah. if you can kind of group those websites in a follow-up call to say, okay, you said you liked, you know, this, this, and this, here are some similar websites to this one. And I'm going to call this mood board, the, I don't know, happy mood board or whatever. Yeah. And then you can kind of get a real tight visualization of what they like and what they don't like and you can discuss that with the client because I think I've had this before where someone will say oh we're on a tight tight deadline we just need to get straight into designing wireframes no 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 I've had yeah. this where it's like okay we've got a tight deadline oh okay shit we're gonna need a home page and about page and whatever and actually it, you need that time it's, to bat ideas around a little bit. It's a lot. A lot of it is about directing the call and everything. Uh, you've been hired to do that. You've been paid to to play the expert. You are the expert, and you have to direct the call and everything. And what I also I learned this from Ron. I don't know if it was in the course or like where I learned it, but it's like he mentions this. It's quite difficult to do this, like direct the call and 
play the expert, even though you are, but because a lot of times you are dealing with CEOs and people who are high rank in you know what they do. And these people are normally people who tell others what to do. So yeah. it's difficult for you to find that balance and tell them, you know, what's what's good, what's not. Um, but at the end of the day, it's directing the call. What I do as this is also a tip. I, when I create the list, I don't send it to them. Sometimes I send it to them prior, but when we are in the meeting to discuss about, because what, a lot of what I do is animations. We create like creative websites. So it's also about your feeling. Like, how do you feel about some certain things? And it's really difficult to convey this, you know, on a Zoom meeting, you know, with the 15 FPS uh, screen share. So what I do, I give them the links one by one and I tell them to share their screen, open the website on their, you know, computers. And then we talk about, you know, tell them go there, that menu, that's what I'm talking about. So that way they completely, like they firsthand experience what I'm trying to explain now they can tell me oh i do like this or i don't like this and that way uh, i get a much better detailed understanding of you know what they what they need and what they don't like yeah that's really interesting i think this whole asking for feedback thing is actually a bit of an art you know people say you got to get feedback from the clients like well don't just say what feedback do you have in an yeah. email that's not going to help you and yeah it's 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 quite difficult when egos come into it as well you know if there's someone who's maybe not a visual person but has very very strong sense of you know what they think is right and wrong it's kind of difficult I feel like you've yeah. got to make them feel like they are the decision maker but actually guide them in a direction that is actually that in your opinion as a consultant the right the right uh, decision yeah. for them to make Tell me about failure number two, burnout after making two courses and getting hit by the issues in your home country. Yeah, so this is by the end of last year, 2022. So I made that course with Ron. Uh, it was quite a lot of work. Like it was three and a half months of intense daily work on the course and then after that, um, you know, YouTube videos I want to do. And then a lot of work with my team because I wasn't working with them for three months. So they were like on autopilot for three months. And then I decided to create a course in Farsi. So I did that too, like started that designing everything myself. Quite a lot of work when you get into creating like such a also Bro it, it it's a big course because it's meant for people who you know don't speak English or like they they have that that English that language barrier so doesn't matter to what extent but it was meant for people who couldn't even consume Webflow 101 uh, videos so the course ended up being really big uh, I made that and at that time that I was juggling so many things at the same time, I don't know, called like revolution or protests happened in Iran. It all originated also from my home, you know, not just a home country, but the city that I was like born in. So that that's why it hit like really hard. 
And in the past, I had, you know, there was some issues you've probably heard in in the news, like there are always issues with Iran and generally in Middle East, Middle Eastern countries. And as somebody who lives here, you know, from Iran living here, it's always that difficult decision. Do you want to be involved, involved in, you know, meaning like paying attention or doing something or completely shutting it off? All right. This can happen in all countries, right? Even if you are from the U.S. and something happens and something like really big and it hits you and it kind of tries to consume you. And now you have to, you know, decide, do you want to pay attention, do something there or, you know, live your life in a like the bubble you create? So in this case, it was really difficult to shut it down. And it was also that moral question and responsibility. If I can do something, should I, you know, shut it off and not do anything and just, you know, continue living here. So I ended up redirecting all that frustration that I had. It was quite a lot of frustration because people were being killed. Uh, It was a really really difficult um, situation. You've probably heard about the two women live freedom. That was uh, what people were chanting. Funny enough, it's coming from my mother tongue. So it all like kind of like hit me even more because it's, you know, it resonated so close, right? So the first, I believe it was like the first two days I decided to to buy the domain, uh, women live freedom. And I was like, I'll create a website. That's what I do best. I can't like help any any other way. So I'm going to redirect all that pain and frustration and, you know, anger. It was quite a lot of anger uh, at the government for like killing innocent people. So how do you deal with that? Uh, and you're so far away, you, you can't do anything. The internet is shut off in Iran. You can't even talk to your friends. So I decided to create this website and um, I spent, I believe, like three to four weeks nonstop on designing and creating that website. I really encourage you to go check it out, womenlifefreedom.com. If you can check it out on desktop, it would be even better even it's it's mobile responsive and we have all the animations there too. But yeah, I tried to do what I do best and that was creating a statement uh, that's a political stand. Um, we discussed a lot about this with a friend of mine who's, who's studying philosophy. Um, there was a lot of decisions going into this creation of this website, especially regarding uh, copywriting. Like what text do you write in in a website like this? Like, how do you position it? Because it's not a news agency. Do you want to be neutral or do you want to take a stand and say, that's that's what my stance, that's what I stand for. So that's what uh, we ended up doing and um, writing the text. I really encourage you to write the text. It's not long. We made something that is very story driven and is taking sides. It's like our side, people's side, not the government side. So I try to steer all that energy, uh, even though it was a lot of negative energy in that direction. And it helped actually, like it, I had the energy to do it. I, I, it felt like I, I have to do this. I can't do anything else. So I 
ended up reducing uh, a lot of uh, my time at Flux, um, not doing videos anymore. Uh, I was really down. It was a very difficult time. And most of my days at that time, I was working on that website as if the only thing I could do for the time that I could function. Yeah, I guess that's where I had a burned out without really knowing because I could not stop, even though it I now I can look at the past and say, well, yeah, it was uh, burned out. But at that time, I couldn't stop. And I never did. I didn't have, you know, the luxury of being able to, you know, s- slow down or stop, you know, whatever I'm doing because I had to work. So, yeah, I guess I continued. Wow. Okay, thanks for sharing that. I I really recommend people looking listening to this go and check out womenlifefreedom.com. Just for anyone that doesn't have the the context for this, it's it's on the website, but this is obviously, you know, a very raw thing for for you Kabaza. So, um it's you know, and it's so close to your home country, you obviously know what's going on in in Iran so well. But uh for anyone that doesn't, um there was a woman called Masa Amini who got killed because uh, she wasn't wearing her hijab properly. Yeah. And there are, there's basically a brutal dictatorship with the morality police who judge, yeah. you know, what's right and wrong. And this was a question about liberty and freedom and, and people took to the streets. And then there was a brutal oppression of people. And, and according to your website, over 435 people were killed this is towards the end of last year so an incredible really important website for you to make and it sounds like it took all your energy to to make it in a very very difficult time for you so go go and check it out if you if you haven't already i mean in terms of all the different failures that I've heard on this podcast so far. I mean, for you to, you know, fail to keep up the other commitments in your life alongside making this website, I, I can't help feeling that this is possibly the the most important non-failure. <laughs> I mean, this sounds like a very important thing for you to do. So I think Ran and the team probably forgave you for for not being on your best on your best yeah. form during this period. But yeah, thank you for for sharing that and an amazing response came from twitter and i'm sure wherever else you shared this though it it did like uh, a lot of people who i did not know uh started sharing the website um a lot of interesting people uh, it also like i got to know so many people who were like really interested in the matter and they started resharing it exactly on twitter on instagram i, I got an amazing response mm and it's it's awesome to to have done something that had such an impact because I think a lot of the time um when you're doing client work you know that there's there's obviously you know business impact that you're hopefully improving KPIs and whatever but actually the the kind of real you know this this website had had an impact beyond business and that's a, yeah. a really important um yeah it must be a really fulfilling thing to have to have done and to have to have achieved definitely it's yeah exactly this is a really good point like we were not bounded by you know the kpis of the business or the requirements of a client it was all about okay there are so many things i can do in webflow 
and like I've been trying to communicate emotions through design and animations. And mm. this, is, this is it. This is the way I can do it. I have complete freedom. Like mm. there, there is nobody telling me, you know, how to do it. Even if you are building like your profile uh, website, you are still bounded by, you know, you want, you have a user base, you want to serve them, you, you know, the target audience, whatever. For so many websites that you even own yourself, not just clients, you are still bounded to in so many ways. For this website, we were really not bounded to any, you know, we, we, we just had a lot of discussions around the wording like if we are saying, you know, some like anything specific, like what do we mean by that? Why do we say it? Like where is our stand? That that was, but all in a good way, right? We had the freedom to decide. It just it was something that we had to decide. But then the end, the the other thing is the freedom that you know Webflow has allowed me to do this. That that was really interesting and also. Um, Vlad himself, the CEO of uh, Webflow, he also migrated with his family to US when he was, I think, two or three years old uh, from Russia. So this is this was also really interesting. Like the tool that he has made allowed me, for example, to be the voice of my people um, without, you know, you know, in this no-code way that it, that it that is much easier to do, right? And that that was really interesting and. Um, yeah, liberating that I can do this without, you know, many limitations. Tell me about failure number three. You very recently lost a huge client. Yeah, it was quite painful, but at the same time, not really and liberating. So I had a client last year. We started working together. This was my first uh, enterprise client, actually. They wanted us to migrate their entire website from Codebase to Webflow. Um, and they are like that, you know, typical, typical in the sense that, you know, Webflow tries to, uh, you know, target this type of clients. And the, this is like a a uh, really big corporation valued over a billion uh, US dollars. And they are like an absolute like mega, like they are, they are also growing like crazy. So um, their website was built, you know, using code and uh, with their internal developers and engineers, you know, what, you know, the, the typical web flow uh, target client or like their I would say that the best uh, client that you could like have. So they um, they wanted us to migrate the entire website to Webflow, rebuild it the way it is without changing a pixel unless that pixel was like bugged. So if, if there was a bug, we had to fix it. If not, we had to migrate everything exactly the same way. And that is, that might not sound really difficult, but it is very difficult because the website was built, you know, with custom code. So imagine the breakpoints were different. Uh, a lot of, you know, ways that they were approaching things were different from the way it is in Webflow. Um, we took two months. It took us two months to, to do the entire thing, you know, with CMS, with integration, a huge website, uh, a, a good client. And 
Later on, they wanted us to basically recreate some part of the website because they are going through a change, a big change, and they want to create an absolute like huge news and media part on their website, which is like, I don't know, like 20 different CMS. Uh, CMS. It's it's insanely huge. Uh, they want to create, uh, for us to create that, I was uh, helping them in the design phase and for the development phase, they were not sure if they want to do it internally because they have a team of Webflow uh, developers now. Their team learned Webflow during that time. They hired somebody because they want to do everything in-house. But they were not sure if this you know, task is too big for their internal team, uh, if they can handle it or they want to give it to, a, you know, to me because we could handle it. I have a bigger team and like we knew the ins and outs of Webflow and also their project. So it was actually like closer to 40K. So 40K like just for the build. And the last moment, basically, they said, no, they decided to go with their internal team and they might have like other things for us later on. But for now, we didn't have to do it. So the money was like a huge, like it was a huge amount of money and it would like really help. But at the same time, it would mean that I could not work on anything else or just, I, I had to stop living for that time. And they were on also on a really tight deadline. So that meant I had to basically work day and nights with my team, multiple people on the same project. So we had like that plan to, to build different, parts of it in different projects because you can't simultaneously work even though they are on enterprise plan and you can do simultaneous works but it's not we couldn't do this these things so anyway it meant a lot of work so that's why when when we got the no it was I was actually like okay that's that's not really bad I'm going to have a lot of time on my hand to work on flowing like finally, I, I've been trying to find some time to not do a lot of client work and, you know, focus on designing, flowing and, you know, deliver the designs to my developer to to develop the Chrome extension and the plugin. And I never had the proper time. I was like, I've been working on it for the past six months, but with without much to show. So losing that client on that sense it was good but it also means that i don't have a lot of money could like run out of money if i wouldn't get like enough smaller clients at the same time but we are handling just fine right now we are trying to bootstrap it and not raise any money so get to a point where we can get users roll in probably like some uh you know light like light features at the beginning but the core features soon so we can get paid users and you know continue building Cool. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is a blessing in disguise, because I think sometimes when you have a lot of money, you try and solve problems with money. Actually, a lion is most dangerous when they're hungry. Yeah, I don't even know if that's the right phrase. But my point is that you are kind of thinking on your feet way more without the resources and time luxury to, you know, really analyze every single situation so you're kind of just like going for it hell for leather and um, you know maybe you'll do things better and quicker off the back of that in a strange way probably i'm having a lot of fun in figma 
I'm not doing a lot of Webflow nowadays, but a lot of Figma. So like starting my day with Figma, ending it with Figma, uh, building the design systems and everything in Figma. I don't have a, you know, uh, background in design. I normally don't call myself Webflow designer or web designer at all. Uh, I'm more like the that developer person, but nevertheless, I'm, you know, um, doing the entire design so far by myself in Figma. The reason for that is, well, well, you, we are using the UI elements that Webflow has, but that doesn't mean that we are like copying those because we are creating like new things. So mm-hmm. we have to look at Webflow. Well, when I say we, I'm like at, for this part, I'm doing this mostly alone, looking at what Webflow components have and what how they behave not webflow components literally what i mean like the ui how it works and how they are like adding that extra feature how would they do that and we are trying to do that because i believe like users want this experience to be as native like as possible so that's the route we are going for to to make the extension look like it's really made by Webflow to be very native and also really well integrated as much as possible. It's a very difficult task on the development part and on the design part. I'm not a Figma design system guy, like experienced in that. So I'm doing, I'm breaking a lot of things. I'm reusing components one day and another day I notice, okay, I did that. That was not the best way of building it. So maybe down the road, I have to rebuild the component system that I was like building, but yeah, still pushing and trying to, to, to get closer to, to that first viable, you know, version that we can share. We have like functions that we have built already but it's not enough to share. So we are still on in that stage. Are you ready for your final question? That's a little bit harder. Yeah, definitely. What is your next failure going to be? My next failure? I'm afraid of sticking with, with something for too long. Right now I'm juggling too many things, right? Building a team, an agency, uh, we are developing templates, designing right now, but uh, very soon develop them. We're working on like ways of doing it. Uh, and the extension even flowing, there are like multiple things we can do. We have like, I haven't talked about it so far, like one hour in, I haven't said that we have a component library system um, that you can share with your you know, friends or coworkers. And we are taking also the educational aspect of this it's just doing a lot of things and i'm afraid of maybe sticking with one of these for too long and not kill it so that would be a failure if i end up you know in two years not having a good agency or a good brand or you know a good extension or you know a, a template library if i don't have any of these then I failed at all of them. Thanks so much to Kabaza for coming on the podcast and thanks so much to you guys for listening. This has been probably one of the most emotional episodes for me to listen back to. Kabaza's journey so far has been one where he had so many hurdles to overcome 
from immigrating from Iran, helping to support his family at such a young age, and then dealing with political turmoil in his home country when he was so far away, it's even more impressive that he has such a positive attitude and is so successful now. I think that one of the biggest takeaways from this episode is how having a positive attitude will get you such a long way. And this might sound like too basic to say, but I can't help feeling that a lot of us give ourselves excuses and kind of reside in this negative headspace to not do the things we know we need to do. I know that this lack of positive attitude and go-getter mentality has held me back in the past, but Kabaza gives us an example of how to overcome difficulties by taking action and with a smile. Next week, for episode 43 of Webflail, we will have Ran Sigal on the podcast. Very excited. And uh, for someone who has had such a big influence on me, but may, many of you probably as well, it's going to be a banger of an episode. So stay tuned for that one. Have a great week, Webflailers. Webflailers.